0: This morning we're going to be talking about the heart and we'll get to the title in a little bit. It's a big subject and, you know, we talk about it a lot. I'm thinking about this. A lot of our songs have the word heart in it. Of course, I'm not talking about the beating heart. I'm talking about the seat of emotions or our will and our affections. The word is used more than 900 times in Scripture, but it's almost never talking about your physical heart and your chest. It's talking about the seat of your intellect, our feeling, our will, our want-tos, and it's talking also about our don't-want-tos. It's the source of whatever affects your life and character. It's the control tower, if you will, the center of who you really are. It's the rudder of your life. It can turn you in the right direction, and it can turn you in the wrong direction. We all know what it means to say, some, if we say about somebody, their heart just wasn't in it. He has no interest in it. You know, he couldn't put his heart into it. I've heard about that about race horses. You know, they have a big heart. God has a great concern about our heart. The heart is most commonly used by God to express what it is in man that God is interested in. I'm going to say that again. The heart is most commonly used by God to express what it is in man that God is interested in. You know, we hear the term, well, they had a change of heart. Well, we're not talking about a heart transplant. We're talking about um, a different attitude. You know, we use the term, Jesus comes into one's heart. He has Jesus into his heart. A good example of, you know, God's concern about our heart is Jesus' attitude with the Pharisees. They were so proud that they kept the law. But their heart wasn't in it. That's what upset Jesus the most. One preacher said, and I thought this was pretty clear. The heart is where God makes life changes and where you store the treasures of your life. It is very much an indicator of what is going on in your life and what you hold dear If God is in control of your heart, He has control of your life. You know, what started me thinking on this was the verse in Proverbs 4.23. We all know it. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. That is a big statement. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life issues or the sources of your life. Do we really think about that when or if we feed the heart wrong things, listen to the wrong things, see the wrong things, go the wrong places, say the wrong words, and you lose your life if you don't keep your heart? And the word keep here I'm defining as To guard or maintain your heart. And I'm going to give you some examples in scripture of descriptions of hearts used in scripture to help explain what I'm talking about. And when I read these, ask yourself if the heart was kept with all diligence. Would these examples have occurred And maybe we can identify with some of these at one time in your life. Maybe you can identify with it this morning. In Psalm 78, I'm just going to mention these. It says, they tempted God in their heart. Proverbs 19 says, his heart fretted against the Lord. Ezekiel 36 talks about a stony heart. Hosea 10 talks about a divided heart. Mark 6 says, their heart was hardened. And, and chapter 7, it talks about, he says, their heart is far from me. Ephesians 4 talks about the blindness of their heart. And we've all heard it said about having an evil heart of unbelief. These are all examples of somebody that didn't listen to Solomon, didn't keep their heart because out of their heart. Are the issues of life and they didn't please the Lord by having a heart like that. So our heart or our feelings of love and desires dictate to a great extent how we live because we always find time to do what we enjoy, what's in our heart. So Solomon tells us here in Proverbs, to guard your heart above all else, making sure we concentrate on those desires that will keep us on the right path. Making sure your affections push you, or your heart push you in the right direction. And Matthew Henry says of this verse, we must set a strict guard accordingly upon all the avenues of the soul. Keep our heart from doing hurt and from getting hurt. That was interesting to me. Keep your heart from getting hurt. From being defiled from sin and disturbed from trouble. Keep out bad thoughts. Keep up good thoughts. Keep The affections on the right objects and in due bounds. And of course, this brings up another verse that comes to mind is in Luke six. And we all know this verse, a good man out of the treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good and an evil man out of the treasures of his heart brings forth evil for out of the abundance of the heart. The mouth speaks. If these are true, and they surely are, how important is it to guard what comes in and what goes out of our heart? How important is it to guard your desires? How important is it to keep out certain things and to grasp onto and keep certain other things? So the title of the message is The Matter of the Heart is the heart of the matter. That's not original with me. You probably heard it before, but it fits. The heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. The other Saturday I was working in the yard and God's God seems to reveal to me <laughs> things when I'm on my mower. I think Tom used to say that too, Brother Tom. He seems to reveal things to me either on the mower or in the shower. I don't I don't understand that logic but and I don't know how many times that I've been riding on the mower thinking about things and something drops in my heart and my spirit and I go there it is again or he'll give me a, a, a title of a message and I thought um, so I'm on my in, so I'm in my study I mean on my mower and we have ivy growing behind if you've been in my place we have ivy growing behind that stone wall and if you know anything about ivy, it's very invasive. It'll take over everything around it. I have to keep it in bounds. Every time I cut the ivy back in the fall, I cut it up, I cut it off of the the stone or else it'll take root. Every time that I cut the ivy back in the fall, I'm conscious of the twigs and the leaves that are in the yard after I'm done. I usually end up raking In my mind, I picture if I leave a leaf, it's going to take root. And in five years, I won't have to mow anymore because I'll have ivy everywhere. So I pick up all the leaves falling in the grass. Like I said, I try to keep every piece cleaned up. So I was doing this. I felt the Lord was showing me that the root of a plant is its heart. So I have two different roots here. (laughs) This root produces ivy. This root looked very similar. This root produces a weed. And in a sense, this is their heart. They produce what they are. Whatever is in the root will produce a plant like itself. And I'm referring this all about to our hearts. It doesn't matter where I plant this. If this this falls in the yard, it's not going to grow up like everything around it. It's going to look like what its heart is. I can fertilize it with grass fertilizer. I can water it with Grass, water, whatever that is. And it's still going to be ivy. If this ivy root takes root in the yard, it won't look like what's around it, like I've said. It won't look like grass. It never will. Its heart is different. Doesn't look around and say, wow, I don't look like everybody around me. If I want to blend in, I need to look like a blade of grass beside me. I can't look like this. I'm going to change my look so I'm different from the, rest of the world, from the rest of the lawn. No, it doesn't even consider the surroundings. It's content to be an ivy because that's what its heart is. Of course, the analogy is if your heart is right, the world around you shouldn't make a difference. Or influence who you are, because the issues of your life come from your heart. So the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. Psalm one nineteen eleven says, "Your word have I hid in my heart, so that I don't sin against Thee, because from it springs the issue of life." Hiding God's word in your heart is a deterrent to sin. Having God's word in your heart purifies your life because it makes your heart pure. We must have a pure heart. That's the welcome sign on your heart. If, on, if, you, if you want to say to God, come into this house and do your work. You know, we sing the song, open the eyes of my heart, Lord. I want to see you. Help me to understand my heart. The other week we sang the song, purify my heart, purify my emotions, my will, my want to's, make my want to's pleasing to you. Purify my control tower, be the rudder of my life. In Psalm 139 it says, search me, O God, and know my heart Try me and know my thoughts. David is talking about the root of who you are, of who we are. He's saying, get in there and scrub it out. I saw a DVD one time, and I think some of you have seen it too. The preacher was talking about this issue of God searching out our heart. It's like God going through the chambers of our heart, and he has a flashlight. And he looks in the corners, And he looks down the hallways and he comes to the door and he comes to a door that's locked. Can I come in? We say, oh no, no. No, don't go in there. You can have the other areas of my heart. Don't go in there. Everything else is clean and swept. It was ready for you. Do we think we can hide things from God? an area in our heart that we think maybe is private, maybe that doesn't have the right motives, that doesn't, we know, doesn't please the Lord. We know that. Everybody know that. That flashlight really is our conscience. Did you ever have company over, and as you're going to open the door to let them in, you pass a room that you didn't get cleaned up, You back up, slam that door shut. Say, don't go in there. I don't want you to see how I really live. (laughs) I keep it locked. You know, we, if we are not careful, we can have an area of our heart that's locked. And we don't let anybody go in there. Does God come and knock down the door and demand that you clean it up? Our verse says, for, your, for you keep your heart. You make it a place where God can visit, where God can inhabit. You control what goes in and comes out. For out of our hearts are the issues of life. You know, God may knock at the door in a message May have a word. John may have a word from for us in a, in a message, and says it's time to clean that room up. Throw some things out. Get rid of that. Give that up. Take that out to the trash. And I almost wrote in there, take that to Goodwill, but it didn't fit. <laughs> Stop watching that. For out of your heart are the issues of your life. So let's look at some scriptures to show that to God the heart is more important to him than the outward appearance. Not to say that the outward appearance isn't is meaningless because it does reflect the heart. Let's turn to 1 Samuel 16 and i'm going to read verses 1 through 12 and we know this as uh, samuel anointing a new king because god did not want saul being the king anymore it's first samuel 16 and i'm going to read 1 through 12 and the lord said unto samuel how long will you mourn for saul See, and I have rejected him from reigning over Israel. Fill thy horn with oil and go. I will send thee to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided me a king among his sons. And Samuel said, how do I go? If Saul hear me, he will kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with thee and say, I am come to sacrifice to the Lord. And call Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show thee. What thou shalt do, and thou shalt anoint unto me him whom I name unto thee. And Samuel did that which the Lord spoke, and said, and came to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming, and said, Comest thou peaceably? And he said, Peaceably, I am come to sacrifice unto the Lord. Sacrifice yourselves, sanctify yourselves, and come with me to the sacrifice. And he sanctified Jesse and his sons, and he called them to the sacrifice. And it came to pass when they were come that he looked on Eliab and said, Surely the Lord anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeketh not as for the Lord seeth man. Start all over. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither hath the Lord chosen this. Then Jesse made Shammah to pass by. And he said, Neither hath the Lord chosen this. Again, Jesse made seven of his sons to pass before Samuel. And Samuel said unto Jesse, The Lord hath not chosen these. And Samuel said unto Jesse, are, there, are these all their children? And he said, There remaineth yet the youngest, and behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he comes hither. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and withal of a beautiful countenance and goodly to look at. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. How often do we make judgments based on the wrong things or by how somebody looks? Samuel saw the firstborn and saw his stature and said, Surely this is the one. He was tall. Maybe he was reminded him of Saul. You know, he was tall and handsome and impressive looking. My commentaries tell me that David was between 10 and 15 years old. The Lord said, do not look at his appearance for the Lord does not see as man sees for the Lord looks at a man's heart. Was David's heart always perfect and spotless before God? No, but we'll look at that a little bit later. You know, we can spend a lot of time getting the outward person ready to go out in public to go to church. I don't really think God is impressed with our clothes. I don't think he really cares if our socks even match. But do we take the time to prepare the inside, the heart, when we come and meet. That's what's important. Have we forgiven? Or do we bring a grudge in here? When we meet with the Lord? Do we ask for a clean heart? And I'll get to that later. Let's turn to Second Chronicles 25. Just the first two verses here. Here. Second Chronicles 25 says Amaziah was 20 and 5 years old when he began to reign and he reigned 20 and 9 years in Jerusalem and his mother's name was Jehododan of Jerusalem and he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord but not with a perfect or not with a sincere Heart. How many times have we been guilty of this? We do what is right, what we know to be right, but with an impure heart. We can do the right things, but not with a, a perfect heart. God's shining the light in our hearts and asking, why do you do this? Do we do the sacrifices of God and we bring in a maimed sacrifice an animal that's missing an eye or I used to think about this a lot when my kids were showing calves at the state fair you know we paid a lot of money for those and I had them all cleaned up and brother Tom would bring that up and I would think God would want me to sacrifice the best one out there I could win we could win with that one that's the one God wants us but that was a heart that was a, that's a heart issue we outwardly do the things we know that we should do but our heart is not in it can that be said of us when we worship remember brother tom used to go this is the day this is it he used to finger clap i'll never forget that you know your mind you can come in here and sing the loudest one you can be the loudest singer but your heart Would be a hundred miles away. Ouch. Is that a pure heart? Or giving. Is it done with the love for the one that we're wanting to bless? Or do we say, I wish they wouldn't have put that bucket out? I I was saving that money for a vacation. Not saying you can't take a vacation, but it's an attitude of the heart. Or praying. Well, I need to get my half hour in today. How much more time? Oh, 10 more minutes. Is that a right heart? When I was preparing for this, I was reminded how God does not hide the heart of his servants from us. (laughs) They're in scripture eternally forever. We're talking about it this morning. We're going to talk about the story of David and his sin with Bathsheba. Can you imagine a sin like that? in scripture that people are going to read for eternity. <laughs> that's that's amazing. He doesn't like I said, he doesn't hide their blemishes from us, but uses them to show us the way, way back to be in God's favor again. God is rich in mercy, isn't he? John said in a, in a sermon recently that Jesus used the many questions of the Pharisees to teach us about who God was. And he did it without losing his temper. So don't despair if God convicts you of something in your heart that's not pleasing to him. I've been living with, his, I've been living with this conviction for weeks as I was preparing this. Don't despair if God convicts you of something in your heart. That's not pleasing him. Again, he is being merciful to us, knocking on the door, shining the light in the corners down the hallways because he wants fellowship with us. He is being merciful to us and knocking on the door and saying, hello, it's me again. Is this room cleaned out? Can I come in this time? Clean it out. So, we all know the story of David and his sin with Bathsheba. And um, it's in 2 Samuel. I'm just going to skim over it because I, I think most of us know it. I am going to read the first verse. It says And it came to pass after the year was expired, at the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Reba, But David tarried still at Jerusalem. David did not go to battle like he probably should have been. This wouldn't be written in scripture if he wouldn't have been. If he wouldn't have tarried at Jerusalem, like it says. So this. Scripture gives all the we know, we know the rest of the story he goes on the on, on his rooftop and he sees a beautiful woman bathing who is she and he inquires, inquires that's where he veered off the path he inquires who is that? and he finds out and her husband is in battle and he um, he doesn't stop the ball rolling down the hill I think Brother Paul said in a message one time, it's easier to stop the sled at the top of the hill rather than halfway down and try to stop it. David should have stopped it (laughs) when he saw the lady. He should have said, I shouldn't watch that. But at that point, his heart was wrong. So in verse 1, it says the kings go out to battle, but David stayed in Jerusalem. And when he went up on the rooftop, it started out with lust. The lust led to deceit. From there it goes to fornication. From there it ends up in murder because he didn't guard his heart. But then David writes about this situation in Psalm 51. And this is our lesson, an example of getting back in God's grace by doing the following. Let's turn to Psalm 51. And I'm going to read a portion of this. This is a story of David's uh, confession. It says, Has, Have mercy on me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned, and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desireth truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and cleansing that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. So the first point is, in getting back to God's favor, he begs for God's mercy. Strongs defines mercy as bending or stooping low to show kindness to an inferior. And I suppose that after Nathan made the famous announcement to David... You're the man. I suppose David, who was one of the greatest kings of Israel, felt a little lower than a worm crawling in the dust. I think he was truly sorry. This does not sound to me like a man who was sorry for his sin because he got caught. He starts out by asking for mercy even before he asks for forgiveness. He trusts and appeals to God's mercy Even though according to the law, he should have been stoned. So who said there is no mercy in the Old Testament? David owns it. I am the man, he says. I'm going to read just a few more scriptures about God's mercy. And these are all referring to Old Testament, um, Old Testament issues. This was God's heart eternally. The first one is in Psalm one hundred thirty three to four, and like I said I'll just read it. If thou Lord should mark iniquities, O Lord, who should stand? But there is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. And in Proverbs twenty eight thirteen. Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen it says He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesses and forsaketh them shall have mercy. And that was that was the Old Testament. One more in Acts 1043. And this is referring back to the prophets of the Old Testament. Acts 1043 It says to him gave all the prophets witness. He's talking about Jesus that through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remissions of sin. You know, when Saul was accused of disobeying the Lord by Samuel, did he own it? No, he said in first Samuel 15, the people have taken the sacrifice or the people have taken the spoil to sacrifice to God. It wasn't me. That's the difference between he and David. The kingdom was taken away from Saul because of his sin. But David was forgiven of his sin. There was a lasting rebellion in his household, true. But he received fellowship and right standing with God still. And the second point, he asked for cleansing in verse 2 in Psalm, back in Psalm 51. He knows that before God that he is not clean, that he can't stand before God in this state. He's not asking for clean clothes. He's asking for the washing of the insides. His heart, as we see in verse 10, creating me a clean heart, because our subject again is about the matter of the heart. He knew there was an unclean issue of his heart. That wasn't right before God. And then the third point is he confesses his sin in verse three. And I know you've experienced this. When you've done something, you can't get it out of your mind. We relate to it as oh, maybe that's just me. I wish I hadn't said that. I wish I hadn't done that. I wish I could have that back. Anybody know what I'm talking about? When you sin, you know the feeling. Number four is when you, when you sin, you know the feeling of the distance growing between you and God. It's like he says in verse 8. And then the song we sing, create in me a clean heart. Is your heart dirty? Only before God is the only one who knows it. David wants that close fellowship back again. And he knows that he's sinned. But he had that fellowship before he sinned, before he looked, before he went, before he inquired. Sin drives a wedge between us and God. Sin that remains unconfessed is that room of our heart that we don't want God to look into. That's locked. It's only for us to know, only for us to be there. We say, oh, God, don't make me deal with that. In God's mercy, he wants full fellowship with us and nothing in between, nothing between us. So we're going to look at somebody else's heart who isn't guarded and the issues of life overtake them. And again, we have this story in Scripture of Peter denying Jesus, who he said just a few hours earlier I will die for you. Peter is in the inner circle with Jesus. It was said of Peter or what he said, upon this rock I will build my church. Peter was on the Mount of Transfiguration and he heard the voice say, this is my beloved son, hear ye him. So again, millions have read this account and it is not kept out of Scripture to protect Peter from embarrassment, but again, it's a picture of God's mercy over judgment. Doesn't it say in 2 Timothy 2:12 that if we deny Christ, he will deny us? It's another example of God's mercy exhibited on who. Those who are sorry. And repent. This is how Peter gets his heart right with God again. So again we have a kind of a picture of two people. They've both denied the Lord. Peter, and Judas has denied him in a sense that he sold him. Judas, who sold Jesus for money or gave him away, and Peter who denied the Lord, one repents. We have no record of Judas being sorry for his sin. He basically checks out rather than deals with it, rather than faces it. In both of these accounts, Saul and David and Peter and Judas, we have given to us examples of two different hearts that are almost running simultaneously together. Saul's kingdom and David's kingdom were back to back. God had to replace Saul because he needed somebody with a pure heart. Judas and Peter happened within hours apart. Within hours of happening at the same moment in time. Is it just happen chance or is it God wanting to show us His abundant mercy on a person who has a good heart. Is it just happen chance that we see two hearts at the same time? One is pure or one is being kept. Keep your heart with all diligence. Because out of it are the issues of life. We have two different roots here. Saul and David. Peter and Judas. One is wanting to do right before God in being repentant and acknowledging wrongs before God. God wants access to her heart to be able to change it. A hard heart is something God usually passes by because he's not let in. He's not been let in Too many times it becomes hard because the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. It made a difference between David and Saul and it made a difference between Peter and Judas. Jesus revealed the heart of God when he was on the earth in the way he treated people. What he said His compassion. And God hasn't asked us to be anything he isn't already. He has it in perfection. We in our hearts are to be just like him. As he said to Saul in 1 Samuel 13, he says, But now your kingdom must end, for the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And in Second Chronicles 16, it said, "The eyes of the Lord search the whole heart, or the eyes of the Lord search the whole earth, in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him." I read this regarding um, following God, and I thought it was good. It's not; uh, I didn't come up with this. Somebody else did, so I'm going to read it. When God scans the earth for people to follow him, he is not in search for angels in the flesh. He is certainly not looking for perfect people because there are none. He is searching for men and women like you and me, mere people made up of flesh. He is looking for people who share the same qualities he found in David. God is looking for men and women After his own heart. What does it mean to be a person after God's own heart? It means your life is in harmony with the Lord's. What is important to him is important to you. What burdens him burdens you. When he says stop that in your life, you stop. When he says this is wrong in your life, You change. You come to terms with it because you have a heart for God. When you are a man or a woman after God's own heart, you are deeply sensitive to spiritual things. What is God looking for? He is looking for men and women whose hearts are his completely. That means there is no locked rooms in your heart no locked closets. Nothing's been swept under the rug. That means when you do wrong, you admit it, you come to terms with it. You long to please him in your actions. God is not looking for magnificent specimens of humanity. He's looking for deeply spiritual, genuinely humble, honest to the core, servants who have integrity what is integrity it's what you are when nobody else is looking you can't fake it with the almighty he is not impressed with the externals he always focuses on the inward qualities like the character of the heart and the character of the heart is about those things that take time and discipline To cultivate. I'm going to close this morning and we're going to listen to a song. It's by Keith Green. You probably know it. But he says in this song, his words are pretty much what I've been trying to say this morning. Um, It's in the form of a song. So, yeah, listen to the words.
1: on Monday night this week about midnight I wrote a letter to the Lord I didn't know where to mail it so I put it in my Bible and I asked him Lord you gotta do something about my heart you know a lot of times gone by since I met you and it's starting to harden up you know it's just kind of natural I want to have baby skin Lord I want to have skin like a baby on my heart. It's starting to get old and, and wrinkled and calloused. It's not because of anything I'm doing. It's because of a lot of things I'm not doing. And I stayed up till about two in the morning writing this song. Oh. And who spilt their blood for thee. prayers from me too few. Oh Lord, please light the fire that once burned my first love that's fueled with holy fear i wanna take your word and shine it all around but first help me a sound except to give all the glory.
0: know, our consciences can act like a safety valve and that it alerts us to certain issues in our own lives that may not be pleasing to the Lord. And, you know, it's no secret to each of us, each of us knows in your heart what that closed door is, if there is one. You know, what comes to our minds when we read about or talk about the matter of the heart is... That light is, that, is, is our conscience, and we know what it is pretty quick if God is knocking on that door. You know, this morning, God knows our hearts, and we know our heart. So, you know, let's cooperate with God. Let's get the matter taken of, taken care of. Let's own it if we need to, and let's get on with the fellowship of God. That's what God wants. God is rich in his mercy and he wants full fellowship. So for two minutes today, examine your heart.